Welcome, everyone, to episode 27 of the Gridirons and Goal Lines Football Podcast. I'm Angelo. That's Taylor. Taylor, say hello to everybody, please. Hey. Hey, everybody. So we are back. Sorry for the delay. But you know what happens? We have lives. I, Ooh, well, I, I claim well, hold, on, hold on, hold on. I claim to have a life. Yeah. I'm not going to speak for Taylor. But essentially, uh, life gets in the way sometimes, so sorry about that. Luckily, it's the off-season in the middle of a pandemic, so nothing really has changed in the last couple of weeks. So uh, we're going to be diving into our division reviews some more today with the AFC East. Super excited about this one because it looks a lot different than the AFC East has in a long time, and I think we're going to have some good things to say. Uh, so remember, these are one division per episode. Uh, we're going to be going into in-depth uh, detail on the offseason. This is draft picks, free agent signing, staff personnel, all that good stuff. But before we get started, Taylor, I want to talk to everyone about our Twitter, right? Because our Twitter is awesome. That's at G-G-O-A-L-L-I-N-E-S. It's the Gridirons and Goal Lines football podcast Twitter. you got to go follow that thing because that's where you're going to get the best news and the best up-to-date stuff until we decide that we want to do an Instagram or a Facebook, which that probably won't be for a very, very long time. <laughs> so well, it'll, that'll happen whenever Angelo decides to do that. So. That's that is actually the truth right there, and I don't want to do that right now because I want you guys to bask in the glory that is our Twitter uh, account. Okay, uh, you'll see me tweeting a lot and trolling uh, PPF because you know people love PPF so much. You know, so I typically troll them a lot in their ridiculous posts. So if you want to get a good laugh every once in a while, check that out. Taylor, where else can people find us? Oh, um, you know, kind of everywhere. Uh, you know, we, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, the last episodes, as of the, the time of recording this, is not up yet because of technical issues. But normally you can find our episodes there at the same time as everywhere else. You know, we're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, the Anchor app, Breaker, Radio Public, a couple other little places. Everything, Every place but the kitchen sink, mostly. Yeah, well, yeah. actually, we're working on uh, kitchen sink compatibility right now. So. Oh, my. That's revolutionary. Yeah. No one's going to have that. So you heard it here, folks. If you want kitchen sink compatibility, you need to come to us first here at the Gridirons and Goal Lines Football Podcast. Uh, and just to remind everybody, uh, we are recording remotely right now, and so we are using some different tech and everything. So we may experience some technical issues. If you listen to our last episode, you may have caught that. <laughs> so please be aware of that, and please work with us and be patient with us just in case we run into some of those issues. Uh, and Taylor, if you're ready, I'm ready to get into the AFC East. Oh, I'm ready. All right, so as you guys know, we start with the standings uh, from last year, so we're going to be starting with the Patriots, okay? So the New England Patriots, simple. Tom Brady's out. Jared Stidman, in. Should the Patriots have tried harder to acquire a quarterback this offseason? That's the first question because it's the question everyone wants to know, Taylor. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what were, the, what were the options for the Patriots? Okay, before I get into the options, I want to explain my answer here. Yeah, okay. So now that Tom Brady's gone, you'll hear a lot of people talk about – how good Jarrett Stidham is, you know, <laughs> and like the Patriots are fully behind Jarrett Stidham. Here's the thing. Belichick was willing to dump Tom Brady for Jimmy Garoppolo when Tom Brady was what, five years younger or whatever. And, you know, taking huge pay cuts for the team. And now this year, Tom Brady's like, you know, 50 years old. <laughs> and wants to be paid a lot of money, and they have Jarrett Stidham as a backup, and Belichick tried his best to keep Tom Brady. So <laughs> so what does that say about Jarrett Stidham? 
is essentially what you're getting at, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, it's just, it's wild because they had opportunities to draft kind of late in the draft to get a quarterback if they really wanted to. But also, they had plenty of free agency options this year, I think. Um, I mean, Taylor, I know that you've, I, I'm not going to call you a Nick Foles fan, but you've said some positive things about Nick Foles. I mean, why was Nick Foles not maybe a big, oh, you know, why not try to trade for Nick Foles? I think mostly for the Patriots, it's the, the trading aspect of that. Right. I don't think they necessarily wanted to give stuff up for a play, uh, a player of Nick Foles' caliber. That's fair. Um, That's fair. And, you know, we, we obviously don't want to spend too much time talking about this quarterback situation, but one question I think you have to ask, because at this moment right now, we're, we're recording this on June 10th, uh, Cam Newton is still sitting on his behind with no job. So what are we thinking about Cam Newton being a New England Patriot at some point this offseason or some point during the season? It certainly could happen. I just don't know that Belichick wants to deal with Cam Newton's attitude. <laughs> that could be true, yeah. I There's something, though, that's appealing about the idea of Cam Newton and the Patriots. I don't know. Something something about that screams success to me. But, uh, you know, we'd have to – we'd obviously have to see if it happens. Uh, I kind of want it to happen, honestly, because, I mean, I personally think Cam Newton should have a job right now. But, you know what uh, screams success to me? What? So, you know, you got the New England Patriots and, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, the, the Sith Lords pulling the strings from, you know, behind the scenes. Where exactly does Dak Prescott end up when he decides that he doesn't want to sign with the Cowboys? Oh my gosh, that is a point I had not considered at all. Um, I mean, yeah, Dak Prescott as a New England Patriot, going from one of America's teams to the other, uh, probably not the worst idea. I mean, what about Aaron Rodgers in a couple years? Maybe he wants to spend the last couple seasons of his career over in New England. I mean, I mean, honestly, this could open up a weird carousel of quarterbacks that are successful at mm-hmm. New England. You could see for the next few years – veteran quarterbacks coming in and getting 10 and 11 win seasons and reaching the playoffs pretty consistently. And that's going to be a very different image of the Patriots and a very different image of an NFL team altogether. So it's kind of exciting, I think. Yeah, for sure. Wait, dang it. The Patriots are still exciting. <laughs> oh well, my gosh. Anyway, only when you think about them for the future. Okay. So the Patriots also saw Kyle Van Noy, Danny Shellen, and Jamie Collins find new defensive homes elsewhere. Uh, the only major retention the Pats did uh, feel that was useful was tagging Joe Tooney and extending an, an aging Devin McCourty and Matthew Slater. Uh, obviously, Joe Tooney is a great tag here. Uh, you know, Everyone who knows Joe Tooney knows he's one of the best offensive linemen in the game right now. Extending an aging Devin McCourty uh, and Matthew Slater was a little odd to me, I thought, but really losing Van Noy, Danny Shelton, Jamie Collins was huge for this defense. Um Maybe the tat, uh, so maybe the Pats turned to the draft to find some new spark is kind of the question, right? Well, they didn't actually. The Pats used their first three picks on solid defenders, two of which were defensive end, likely to make up for Collins and Van Noy. Then the Pats went back to tight ends, like back-to-back tight ends, and then a place kicker. And then they rounded out with some offensive linemen for depth and uh, likely, likely replacements, as the Pats probably won't be given too neat a long-term deal. So really, they didn't do much in the draft to help their situation. Um, so the biggest question is why? Why did the Patriots have such a quiet offseason? In the past, this has been an understandable uh, thing because they've had Tom Brady. But it just doesn't make any sense now. Well, so for starters, uh, you know, nobody at this point uh, really 
uh, argues with how great Bill Belichick is as a coach. But historically, right. he's not good at drafting. He has had no, a not. lot of bad drafts in his career, even when New England was, you know, having undefeated regular seasons and stuff. It wasn't because they got a bunch of amazing, you know, surprise draft picks. Yeah, they, they usually they usually have a really good free agent period, but they didn't have a good free agent period even this year. I mean, really, for a team that has gone from the pinnacle of football for the last two decades to not do anything to try to retain that is just really odd. Um, I don't have an answer to the question as to why they had such a quiet offseason. I don't know. Uh, you would think Bill, Chel- Bill Belichick would have put a lot more effort into this, so mm-hmm. not, not super sure. All right. Uh, you got anything else for the Patriots, Taylor? No, not really. All right, let's head over to uh, you know Buffalo Bills here. So the Bills are seizing an opportunity this season unlike any they have had since the 1990s, and this offseason proves it. Early on, they gave an extension to Quentin Spain, who has proven to be a dominant guard in the league. Then they went out and improved what already was a crazy team. Okay, So they added veteran depth with Josh Norman, Mario Addison, Vernon Butler, A.J. Klein, and Quentin Jefferson. Addison and Butler are big-time additions as they combined for 15 sacks last year for Carolina. In the last four seasons alone, Addison has totaled 9.5, 11, and 9, and 9.5 sacks, not dipping below 6 sacks since 2012. So they had a pretty solid uh, defensive free agency, which I don't know if anyone noticed last year, but the Bills' defense was pretty good. And so now it's really scary. It's, e- it's even more terrifying than what it was. Uh, so, of course, the big impact, though, I think is going to be the Stefan Diggs trade here. So who is this going to work better for, Diggs or Josh Allen? Uh, Josh Allen, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I... <sighs> You know, see, John Brown is the main target right now, right, for Josh Allen. And then, like, maybe Cole Beasley is second on that. So getting a big-time receiver like uh, Diggs is just huge right here, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so, despite the great free agency pickups, the Bills did struggle to put together a decent draft, though, I will say. Uh, of course, their first-round pick was part of the Diggs deal. So, um, I mean, I guess when you look at their first-round pick being Diggs, it's probably a better draft, but if you're just going for pure selection, it's not the best. The Bills did select A.J. Epinesa in the second round, uh, which just adds to that ridiculous front seven. And then they round out with some wide receivers and some running back depth and possibly long-term backup quarterback with uh, Jake Fromm. So really, other than their first selection with A.J. Epinesa, I don't really think that this was a super good draft for them because I – I want I want them to do something big time here to really say we're the Bills and we're winning the division this year. And I don't know if anybody they drafted said that. Yeah, oh, I don't think the draft is that bad. the The Jake Fromm pick is just a little bit weird to me. It's super weird, right? I I don't get the Jake Fromm pick at all. I really don't. Um, I mean, yeah, it's just a really weird pick. Uh, I I don't know if. I mean, obviously they didn't have any free agents that they were really interested in, I guess. Uh, but I'm thinking like Blake Bortles was a free agent. And I mean, I know, I know we all have our opinions of balding Blake Bortles, but I feel like Blake Bortles probably would have been a better backup to Jake, to uh, Josh Allen here than Jake Fromm. Probably. Um, and probably not much more expensive at this point. Yeah. So that was, that was a weird selection. I think, I mean, it, it was a pretty late selection so I, they're not losing out that much but uh i don't i don't think jake Fromm is going to make it as the uh backup after training camp i don't know who the other option is but i just don't see it happening and i like jake Fromm a lot but i just don't think this is the system that he works best in uh so was the big was the digs 
addition, enough to allow the Bills to ignore other areas on the offense that needed to be addressed, such as tight end or running back depth, or better running back, because they have running back depth, but they don't have very good running back depth. What do you think, Taylor? Um, is, is Diggs really the key here? So, in general, young quarterbacks benefit heavily from good tight ends. Yeah. So, in that respect, I'd say that maybe they should have focused on tight ends a little bit more, but... The, the thing is about uh, the Bills' offense is they kind of just rely, you know, we, we talked a lot last year. Uh, I, I mentioned them, you know, letting Josh Allen play Josh Allen football. And when you have a defense yep. as good as they have, you can let Josh Allen play Josh Allen football and, you know, make the occasional mistake and get some turnovers, throw some picks, because your defense isn't mm-hmm. going to let the enemy team score off of that very often. So, yeah, you know, I just, just getting another deep threat that can help them score more is going to be incredibly beneficial, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at their... So, the thing is, they have a lot of speed on their team, but they don't have a lot of, like, like veteran talent, really, when it comes to catching the football. Like, Dawson Knox and Tyler Croft are, are pretty decent as tight ends, but like you said, young quarterbacks benefit from really good tight ends. Uh, I'm looking here like John Brown, Cole Beasley, Isaiah McKenzie, um, you know, Ray Ray McLeod, he's fast, uh, uh, Gabriel Davis, he's fast. But these guys, I think that uh, when you look at the defense that they're going to have to kind of deal with in that division, um, yeah, Diggs is definitely a big pickup, but Josh Allen still may not be above average this season, is is I think what I'm trying to say here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All righty. Well, want to move on to the New York Jets now, Taylor? Yeah. Let's do it. So the New York Jets, uh, the name of the game this offseason was do whatever we need to do to make Sam Darnold successful this year. Because just like the Bills, the Jets are in a very unique position thanks to Tom Brady. Uh, Taylor, you're you're a pretty decent uh, Sam Darnold fan, I would say. So you might have some tidbits here coming up. Um, the Jets made it clear in free agency that they know their offensive line is an issue. The Jets signed George Van Rotten, George Fant, Connor McGovern, and Alex Lewis, which was a re-sign. To all to all to three year deals totaling close to a hundred million dollars. Okay, all four have been on have average to above average career so far. Uh, then they use their first selection on uh, Mecky Becton, the offensive tackle out of Louisville. This guy is a giant essentially. So Taylor, how do we feel about this investment in the offensive line? Do you we see this as Le'Veon Bell's return to his former self with something like this? Or is it Bell or Donald who are going to like this investment more? Uh, I mean, definitely both of them. Uh, Like, a great offensive line is very important for running backs. And when you're paying a a running back, you know, like you are Le'Veon Bell, you really want them to succeed. But, you know, you look at Sam Darnold, right, and compare him to, like, you know, Andrew Luck. I don't think Sam Darnold's as good as Andrew Luck, but... Andrew Luck would have done so much better had he had an offensive line at all. Um, right. But they just put some of those, like, you know, practice dummies out in front of him for a while there, and he took a beating and retired at the age of 29. And personally, <laughs> I'd like to see Sam Darnold re- retire closer to 39 than 29. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I, you know, I've done a lot of these, a lot of research on these teams. And so far, when I look at the Jets, the Jets are the only team this year that said, we care about protecting our quarterback and letting our running back get space. Investing $100 million and a first-round draft selection on your offensive line is huge in the NFL. That's that doesn't like that's not really a thing that happens. So the fact that this offensive line is 
looking to be like one of the better ones. Like I'm, I'm thinking this offensive line rivals that of like the Cowboys this year. And uh, I'm looking forward to it because I'm also looking forward to Le'Veon Bell playing very well. Um, and as much as I think Sarm, uh, Sarm, as much as I think Sam Darnold's going to benefit from it, I actually think you're going to see Le'Veon Bell hit like 1,300 yards this season because he's got a great offensive line now. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking forward to. So on defense, the Jets picked up plenty of veteran linebackers and defensive backs on short deals. Uh, there is word right now that Logan Ryan may be finding a home with the Jets soon, but at this moment, uh, he's kind of just playing around with some things. Uh, the Jets should be getting back a healthy Avery Williamson, a uh, dominant middle linebacker who missed all of last season with an injury. In his five years on the field, Williamson has racked up 496 tackles and 14 and a half sacks. Uh, he's got a pretty high football IQ. I could easily see him competing with Blake Martinez uh, for most talked about yet underlated middle linebacker of the year. We talked about Blake Martinez earlier in a different episode for the Packers. So I think you're going to be seeing Avery Williamson as a pretty dominant middle linebacker since he's going to be healthy. So that's good. Um, but really, overall, how concerned should the Jets be with their lack of focus on defense? Was the offensive line that much more important considering the current offensive state of this division? Uh, what do you think, Taylor? Oh, yeah, I, I think that it's still correct to go with the offensive line here. Uh, it, you, you mentioned the uh, offensive state of this division. Uh, honestly, the offensive state of this division is pretty weak overall. And so uh, you're not going to out-defense yeah. the Bills, right? right? So maybe you just try to build an offense that can be successful against the other defenses in this division. Yeah, I can understand that as well. And I, and I think unlike the other teams right now in this division, they have built a running game. And I and honestly, I think that's going to be a secret to the Jets' success this year. Is they, They're the only team right now in this division that I think can run the football successfully and consistently. I don't think the Bills can do it with Devin Singletary. I definitely uh, don't think the Patriots can do it with Sony Michelle and James White. Um, and I I want to think the Dolphins can do it well. But uh, I don't know. Let's let's get into the Dolphins a little bit, okay? Okay. So the Miami Dolphins. So the Dolphins continue to solidify uh, what they are wanting to do over the next few years with some coach hirings this offseason. They promoted Josh Boyer, a longtime defensive assistant in both Miami and New England, to defensive coordinator. Then the longtime offensive coordinator and offensive, offensive assistant Chan Gailey was coaxed out of retirement to take on offensive coordinator duties. Gailey retired in 2017 after spending two, seven, two seasons – as the Jets' offensive coordinator, the likely connection here may be Gailey's experience with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I'm thinking, uh, who he coached both with the Jets and the Bills. But still, how do we feel about uh, this weird offensive coordinator hiring? Um, I mean, I think it's it's fine. You know, it, it, a lot of teams tend to, like, promote from within and stuff, but that often leads to a lack of experience. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, you know, you have to get offensive coordinators from somewhere eventually. You can't just keep hiring people who have been doing it. But right. I, in general, it's rarely wrong to hire someone who has the experience. Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering, too, like, obviously there's a lot of connection with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, I I guess I'm wondering if the Dolphins are pretty much thinking there's no way they're going to put two on the field this year. And they just want someone who Ryan's going to be comfortable with. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick performed really well last season, actually, uh, surprisingly, for that team. So maybe the Dolphins are thinking they can they can compete in the division with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And they might be right, possibly. Uh, they certainly could be. I don't think they are. 
That's fair. Uh, so <laughs> and it's it, it's tricky. Uh, so the thing about Ryan Fitzpatrick is he has a history of starting seasons really strong. So like yeah. you know the beginning of the season is when you would want to use him, and then you know that that kind of gets uh, to us some experience just sitting behind him watching him. But at the same time, I I just have this feeling that Tua should start the season. Because a lot okay. of people are like Tua doubters at this point because of the injuries and stuff like that. And right. if he comes in late, uh, late in the season when the, the Dolphins are already losing and morale is low and then he doesn't perform, then the Dolphins are going to feel a lot of pressure to not use him next season. But if you just let him right. come out and get some reps and show what he can do, I think there's actually less pressure uh, on Tua if he starts the season than if he comes in when they're already losing. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. I mean, I, the Dolphins are going to be definitely a hot topic this year going to the season. It's just going to – man, it's going to be such an exciting season. I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, me neither. All right, what's – Let's move off with the coaching here. Let's get to the players now. So, man, there was a lot of action in this offseason for the Dolphins, just as everyone probably expected. First, the big-time defensive additions were Byron Jones, Kyle Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, and Emmanuel Ogba. Yes, I said all four of those names are now on the Dolphins. This is a reality we're living in right now. Uh, Jones had a quiet year in Dallas, but watch for him to have a transformative uh, transformation similar to what we saw when Stephen Gilmore moved from the Bills to the Patriots. And then we've got Van Noy Lawson and Ogba totaled for about 18 and a half sacks last season. And that was when they all played on the Patriots. So uh, Patriots, Bills, and Chiefs respectively. So these are good, high-caliber defenses, and they're racking up this many sacks combined. I think that's just a really good sign for the Dolphins. Um, who looks to have the better defensive front right now, uh, defensive front seven this year, Taylor? Would you say the Bills or the Dolphins? By a hair, I think it's still the Bills. By the hair, I think it's the Bills. I, I'm going to go with – okay, so, okay, I'll go with the Bills week one, but week two it's the Dolphins until week 17, I think. I mean, I think that you as think soon that as – Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's going to be that dominant. I think it's – I think that this defensive front seven is so exciting and so talented that uh, we're going to see it just – I think it's going to outperform the um, – the Bills front seven. It, it very well now, may. I, second, I just feel like yeah. it's going to take them a bit more than time than that to mesh. I see them being a better front seven than the Bills at like week nine. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, honestly, definitely I'm kind of being a bit hyperbolic, but I, 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 I think that by the end of the season, we'll be looking at the Miami Dolphins and saying, wow, look at how many sacks they've told. Look at how much tackle for losses they're getting. Look, look at their run defense right now uh, and things like that. So, I don't. I still don't love their secondary yet, but I love their front seven. And so I guess definitely the Bills have a better defense right now. But as far as the front seven, I'm still going to say the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. But I'm taking the Bills defense right now because they still have the secondary that the Dolphins can only dream to have. Like the Dolphins have Byron Jones. That's it right now. Yeah. Essentially. Uh, all right. And then, so offensively, the Dolphins turn to youth, but not after acquiring Jordan Howard and Matt Breda to help with the stifling uh, running back core that they've had the last couple of years. Uh, the Dolphins cash in 11 draft picks, four of which were offensive linemen, including their f- first, including their second first round draft selection, Austin Jackson, and second rounder, Robert Hunt. But in the end, the Dolphins did not do much to help a wide receiver core that has been led by Devontae Parker, who had a career highs and every category last season. So that leads us to our next question. 
which focus uh, with such focus on young linemen, are the Dolphins looking to see what they can do this year with Fitzpatrick? We've kind of already addressed this uh, team with the offense coordinator Gailey and actually commit to waiting on Tua. Uh, so why not focus more on the tight end wide receiver core, Taylor? Yeah, I, I I do think it has a lot to do with rebuilding, which could be why we don't see much of Tua this year. You know, we spent all last season talking about the Dolphins rebuilding, and now we're like they did a lot of rebuilding, and now we're hyping them up like they're going to be contenders already. But I don't think that that's realistic, and I think that they understand that. So if yeah. they just spend another season working on their team, they could be legit contenders next year. Yeah, I, it's it is a really exciting division because I think that next year it sucks because like this this coming season is going to be so exciting, but next season is going to be even better for this division. I think, especially when the Patriots figure out what's going on. So. Uh, I'm going to go on a little mini rant in a future right. episode about this. But uh, right now, I just want to throw out there that in recent years, we've seen a lot of second-year quarterbacks have success. So in following that trend, you know, if the Dolphins think that they're ready next year, Tua could pop off. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You are right. Um, only time will tell, and it's an exciting time to, to see for sure. All right, Taylor, who won the NFC North offseason or NFC East offseason? Um, yeah, so I think the uh, AFC, AFC. <laughs> AFC offseason winner uh, was – okay, so it was definitely not the Patriots. No, not, uh, not at all. I do think that it was the Dolphins. Okay. Uh, just because, I mean, I think the Bills are still going to be a better team, but I think the Dolphins improved more than the Bills did. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Uh, I think that my big winner for the East probably it's it's probably the Dolphins as well. But man, I want to say the Bills because I just think the Stefan Diggs trade is going to be huge for the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. I'm going to be different. I'm going to say the Bills. I'm going to say the Bills won the offseason uh, because it's it's difficult to put into words how important that dig trade is, I think, when you compare it to all the young talent and stuff the Dolphins acquired. But I don't know. It's a tough toss-up, man. Let's be real here. The real winners were the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Jets as soon as Tom Brady bailed out of the division. You're right. Never mind. We're going to change it, everybody. Uh, the real winners of the AFC East offseason is everybody, everybody who are – is not the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so obviously, I mean, our biggest loser is the Patriots, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the biggest losers have to be the Patriots. Um, Taylor, what was the biggest need that was filled, and what was the biggest need that was ignored in this division? Uh, so the biggest need filled, which we definitely went in-depth about, was the Jets' offensive line. Yep, yep, that's my pick as well, actually. Uh, and then also what we went in-depth about, the biggest need ignored, was the Patriots' quarterback. Yeah, I mean it's it's really hard to not pick those two there. I mean it's it's just so obvious. I I guess I would say if I'm going anywhere else with biggest need ignored, it would maybe be um like tight end and wide receiver talent for the Dolphins because I would like them to develop some talent this year rather than hope that they can draft well next year or something like that. So maybe that, but it's it's got to be the quarterback need because yeah. the the guy can't be it can't be Jarrett Sidman. Okay, I'm sorry, everybody. Jarrett Sidman cannot be the the long term quarterback for the New England Patriots. It's not going to happen. I would also throw some votes to uh, Bill's running back situation. You know, they got some depth. Yeah. They they could really use a, a bit more explosiveness over there. 
Yeah, I, it's just great. In a world where the in a division where the Dolphins got both Matt Breda and Jordan Howard, and the Bills didn't get anybody. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like okay, sure, sure, sure. So, yeah, uh, I think that's a that's a very good you know very good analysis of of these of this division for this offseason so far. So, all right, everybody, there is uh, what we have to say about the AFC East. Tune in next time as we dive into the NFC South, and we're looking forward to talking about that with you guys as well because that's a stacked division now, so that's going to be exciting. Uh, so remember, follow, like, subscribe, do all the things that you're able to do on all those platforms. Definitely go to our Twitter, which is at G-G-O-A-L-L-I-N-E-S. It's the Gridirons and Goal Lines Football Podcast Twitter. Please follow that and uh, tweet at us. Send us questions. We'd love to talk about the questions that you want to talk about. Uh, that'd be exciting for us. So, If that's it, then that's it. So we'll see you guys later. Later.